somebody whose hand we shook, shook this morning, Lord, it may be that we are that individual. Will you step into those places that are darker than we understand? We're grateful for the privilege to partner with you and to be your hands and feet, your mouthpiece, your listening ear, your shoulder Yeah. 
actually spills into chapter 6 some of the difficult pieces that tie into how we live in relationship with one another. So last week was relational, uh, relational faith, part one, today relational faith, part two. We tackled the husbands and wives passage and made reference to the next two, which are parent, child, and master slave. No less difficult and equally awkward as we try and wade through not simply the words that are said, but the culture into which it was written, recognizing that these were radical statements that upset the system and the pervading culture of the time. So into this culture that had a very specific hierarchical um, power structure had incredible gender inequity. Systems where certain people were in power and others were powerless. We hear this amazing word spoken of the Lord. The word that says all of those areas where you are in power, live like Christ. Christ who left everything in the heavens, becoming human form, and then laid down his life so that the church might be presented without spot or wrinkle. Gave everything behalf of the church. In the same way, where you have power, live like Christ. And where you are powerless, live your life as unto Christ. Conduct yourself in such a way that all your actions, your attitudes, the things in which you engage are done as if they are done specifically for Christ. So this is not just to the category of individuals who are in power, though it is for them, and to those who are powerless, though it is for them. It is also to all of us who carry a little bit of both in our lives. Because every one of us has an area far more than we realize where we are the ones who are in power. And this radical call throws the system upside down. It's a call to conduct yourself in those arenas like Christ. And there are all of us in some area of our life where we feel incredibly powerless. And that powerlessness is debilitating. But the call it is in those moments to live your life as if you are living them for Christ, believing that that will be transformation. So now we hit these two sections that we just hinted at last week. Parents and children, masters and slaves, and then we move into the armor of God that we put on. Many of you know that uh, when I moved here about nine years ago, that was not the first time that we lived in this area. About 27 years ago, we moved here for um, an opportunity I had to go to graduate school. We moved into a small apartment in Poway, and then a few months later, just uh, a couple miles north. 
generation that preceded us. It doesn't say the age bracket of the children in this passage of Scripture. It just speaks to what it means to recognize those who have gone before. And likewise, it speaks to the generation that follows us. How do we engage those who are watching how we have lived? It says very specifically, don't exasperate your children. I have broken that command too many times. If they were both here, I would apologize directly to them. My wife has reminded me often that just because I can outweigh them or outbreak my teeth or last longer doesn't mean I should outlast them or hold on tenaciously to my position just to prove my point. And she's right. But I think for me, the piece that has really guided and challenged me is that question of my child's perspective. It doesn't work real well for us to use that adage, do as I say, not as I do. This is hypocritical. What does it look like from my child's perspective when that's how I conduct my life? If I believe something's not good for my daughter, why is it then good for me? Now, I'm not oblivious to the notion of developmental issues. I get that. And I would also like to propose, whether it's children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, that if you have views about how the world should be addressed from the following generation's perspective, and what does it mean for you in terms of how you engage the culture? It's changed me. Changes the decisions that I make. Changes the things in which I engage, the things I do. It should. It is to see the world through the lens of somebody who has a very different perspective than I do, but is also watching and wondering if my faith and my life actually merge in one. I don't know what that means for you or for me exactly. In fact, this is one of those areas where sometimes it's just simply best to ask the question, what might it mean in your life to honor the generation that precedes you? And let God's Spirit begin to turn that question in your life and in your heart. Scripture certainly gives some suggestions, but it is amazing to me how we are looking for a specific answer as opposed to letting the question guide us without necessarily a specific delineated response. But to not let the question simply be set aside, but let it guide our living. Because it's a dynamic question. It's organic. It grows. It changes. It evolves with time. 
not to exist. Frustrate. Confuse. The generation that follows. But to live in such a way that honors the words of the best. The Christ we serve. And if that question just kept coming up over and over again, and it was simply this, what does that mean to you? A little uncomfortable and unsettling. We shift then into another incredibly difficult and awkward passage. The passage here that speaks about masters and slaves. Uncomfortable because it feels like it's language that we have put behind us as a culture, and yet we can speak not only of global issues, but our own culture that still has not gotten past the severity of our history. But this message here is about the way in which both parties in this power and powerlessness conduct themselves. It refers back to once again we conduct ourselves if we're in the power position like Christ and in the powerless position as if we're doing this as unto Christ. And it's in many ways kind of dangerous territory. Do we really trust that that works? Do we really believe that it's possible that love will not only make a difference in this moment but has any lasting value to it at all? Paul's challenged with the very notion that is spoken of here in Ephesians. Just a few books later, and some of your Bibles probably only 15 pages later, there's a tiny little book by Neiman. So short that it doesn't even have any chapter designations. It's one chapter. It's three quarters of a page. It is a letter written to a person by the name of Philemon, likely living in Colossae. This gentleman had a church fellowship group meet in his home. And he had a slave or servant that had run away, had run out on his obligations and on the relationship. We don't know all the reasons behind it, but he ran away and he left town. He eventually landed in a place where he came into contact with Paul who was imprisoned at the time, probably house arrest, but no less restrained, most likely daily chained to a guard with one of his arms to keep him under house arrest, but given the privilege of interacting with others and writing the amazing letters that he wrote. Onesimus was the slave's name. Onesimus found Paul somehow. Paul led him to the Lord. Paul became his spiritual father, his mentor, his teacher. And yet, here is this issue. Onesimus, in that culture, had an obligation, still controlled technically by Philemon. And Paul had become such great friends with Onesimus. Onesimus has become this great partner in spreading the good news, an incredible helper participating in the ministry that Paul was engaged in, even under house arrest. 
of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, all of these things are a description of an outfit that people use to protect themselves and to be self-sufficient in their own armor. And the writer rewrites it and says, no, put down that clothing. Put on the clothing that is provided for you by God. A righteousness that's not your own. Salvation that you didn't earn. The word that's not your own word, but is the word of the Lord. Peace that you have no hope of creating, but God's peace that will transform. This is God's armament. And it is not really a call to attack because it says very clearly there, I simply call you to take a stand. And when things happen, stand firm. Stand strong. Because you're standing in the strength of something that's so much bigger and greater than you. This is the call. To no longer let our history or our role define us, but to allow Christ to define us. To allow our future to be named by what Christ is doing, not by what I have done on my past. Because once again, the truth is that when the stress levels go up, we tend to retreat to that which is most familiar. We repeat that which is most common to us. We might try and move into change, but when the stress levels go up, it's difficult to not go back to what we are familiar with, even if it didn't work real well, we're at least familiar with it. And here in this passage, it is saying, no longer, no more. Let me work a little work in you. Let it be my righteousness, my salvation, my word, my peace that dwells in you. So that when the stress levels go up, you simply surrender more to me. And allow me to stand in you, to stand with you, to stand for you. That's what Christ has done. And that's the mystery to which Ephesians speaks. The mystery is this. some of us who have been longing to hear a word that helps us to move past our history. History of 20 years ago that somehow has clung to us, or history of yesterday that has poured its toxicity over us. Some of us this morning, Lord, have worn our own armor for so long, we don't know what it's like to be free of that weight. The scripture says very clearly, your burden is light. There is freedom to wear the clothing that you provide for us because it's clothing that's not of our own making. It's your righteousness, your forgiveness, your grace. 
the Lord this morning. Help us to start a new day. Forgive us, Lord, for holding on so long for our own plans and agenda, for our own ways and our own history. Forgive us, Lord, for that. Forgive us as well for contributing in terrible ways to other people's history. Intentional or not intentional, Lord. I am sorry. We are sorry. For ways in which someone else's history has been tainted by our words, our actions, our attitudes. Even people we love. some of our old patterns will be this sky and it's not very pretty. We ask you for a life. May this be 